What's happening, everybody? I hope that all of you had a wonderful weekend and that you're living your best life as the best version of yourselves. I've got a great sort of prelude episode for the next phase of the Warrior Legacy podcast on tap for you guys today. Now, what we're going to be diving into are some of the things that we've mentioned briefly but haven't really gone into enough depth on. Okay, What we're dealing with is an examination of perception regarding the armed forces, and I'm going to use what I believe are the two primary sources that influence that for a lot of people, which are the entertainment industry and the recruiting campaigns of the services themselves. If you think I'm wrong, I'd challenge that line of thinking. Just ask yourself, how much time does the average American spend watching a streaming service or on social media a day? It's probably a lot more than any of us want to admit. Now, you can get on YouTube and you can find people that have done this sort of thing before, but we're going to structure this a little bit differently and you'll see how as we continue. Today is about providing a more holistic overview of the strategies employed by our two antagonists. And by the end of this, it should be painfully obvious that neither one of them is an entirely reliable source of information. And that is going to pave the way for the next several episodes. Um, in, in each one that follows, we'll be inspecting a different picture of service members that's been pushed by either Hollywood, the services themselves, or both. Now, if you're a combat veteran, none of this is going to be anything that you haven't thought about before. Okay, and If you've never worn a uniform, however, or if your service was accrued outside the combat arms specialties, then it may seem a little obscure, okay? But if you think about it as we go and afterwards as well, I think that you'll agree that we're going, what we're going to discuss over the next few weeks is a product of critical thought, observation, and study. Not just the, you know, the incoherent ramblings of one dude that wants to disagree just to disagree, okay? So fair warning, Many of these depictions are hailed as, you know, champions of virtue or social reform. Uh, some of them are the product of traditional American representations. And I'm going to challenge every single one of them. Okay? So keep your torches and your pitchforks handy because I promise that many of you, on both sides perhaps, are probably going to want to tar and feather my ass before the end. But I'm excited. So let's roll the ad and let's get after it. When you think about the military institution, okay, what are the key terms or phrases that come to mind? Is it nobility or selfless service? Is it PTSD or mental health? You know, what about sacrifice or patriotism? Have you ever really stopped to wonder why those words come to mind? You know, what about the emotions that you feel when you think about the campaigns in Iraq and Afghanistan? As an American, does, does pride well up inside you when you see a combat veteran? Or do you feel sorry for the losses that we endured and how everything went to shit in the end? Now, whether you fall at one end of that spectrum or the other, or somewhere in between, which is where I think most people do, you know, I think that a lot of our views have been heavily influenced by outside entities. And that's not to say that we're all mindless drones that just chug the Kool-Aid being pushed by you know, TV shows or commercials, but it is implying that even in adulthood, our subconscious minds are still susceptible to influence, which I believe to be a statement of fact. Um, 
the things that we watch and listen to, the books that we read, the social media platforms we surf, you know, which we now have irrefutable proof, you know, those are at least partially directed by government officials. Um, all those things suggest different lines of thinking to us because that's just how the brain works. Um, I explain it to my kids like this. Okay. So picture your brain as a library. Every day, more books are added to the shelves and they're all the things that you put into your mind throughout the course of the day. And when you go into that, that mental library and you check out a specific book, quote unquote, that's conscious thought. You are actively directing your mind. It's intentional. Okay. Now there's this little old librarian lady that's always making her way up and down the aisles, just grabbing books off the shelves and putting them on her cart. And she brings them up to the front desk and leaves them there for you to view whenever. Um, then she goes back with a new cart and just repeats the process. You know, those materials aren't chosen by you. They're chosen by the little old librarian who represents the subconscious mind. Okay. What I want them to understand is that part of our brain is always working in the background and everything that we do, everything that we look at, everything that we let in contributes to it. Okay. So when we surf social media or YouTube or whatever, or play video games and watch movies. Those things are going to resurface on their own in the absence of direction. Okay. Um, for those of you that don't know, I grew up in a, a, a Christian home where, you know, my parents regulated pretty much everything that we watched. Um, I didn't see my first R rated movie until I was like, uh, like 13, something like that. As a teenager, I thought it was stupid because, well, teenagers think they know everything. <laughs> But as I look back on it now, I see the wisdom in it, okay? They may not have, have said it to me the way that I related to my kids, but their parenting philosophy incorporated protecting my subconscious mind, for which I am very grateful. Um, now, as of late, I've been really disappointed with a lot of the movies and television content out there, and I'll give you a prime example. The latest Thor movie, uh, Love and Thunder, as it's called. It wasn't the acting or, you know, the action scenes or any of the typical things that define a film that pissed me off, okay? It was the fact that I had to explain the concept of homosexuality to my kids long before I felt that I should have had to. I was expecting a superhero movie that would make us want to, you know, dress up and fight each other with foam hammers for days after. But instead, I got a visual representation of social conditioning on sexuality. It should have just been a story about extraordinary heroes doing really cool things for the right reasons, just like most of the other ones had been up to that point. Now, you can burn me at the stake for my naivety, but I really don't think that we should have had to worry about any of that, and it damn sure had no place in a superhero film. So that's probably Torch and Pitchfork statement number one, but it definitely won't be the last, okay? Now, the same concept applies to movies and TV shows about war and recruiting commercials. So for those of you that wanted to kick me in the nuts just now for the rabbit trail that I went on, here's how it all ties in. Okay, the entertainment industry understands how the subconscious mind works better than most of us do. So you can be sure that when a major motion picture or a new Netflix series is made, it's created with a certain message in mind. And you can't say something that inflammatory without backing it up. So let's look at a few of the big ones out there and apply a little bit of free thought to them. Okay. 
in the late 1990s to early 2000s or so, theaters were graced with the releases that chronicled the world wars and our involvement in places like Somalia and the Persian Gulf. You know, it was important to present these historical events in the most realistic fashion possible to remember and appreciate the sacrifices of those that had fought for us. As we moved forward into a new century, you know, the overall message was, you know, never forget. Okay. And many of these projects were completed under the direct supervision of men who fought in those campaigns. You know, their firsthand experiences provided films like, uh, like Saving Private Ryan and Black Hawk Down with authenticity and just raw, truthful emotion that resulted in a more accurate portrayal of the events. All right. Now, by 2010, we had seen several big hit productions follow, okay? So, um, HBO's miniseries, um, Band of Brothers and the Pacific, are arguably two of the most accurate productions of their sort concerning warfare in the 20th century, okay? Uh, 2008, uh, Generation Kill, another HBO adaptation from the frontline account of Evan Wright's book of the same title, showed a different side of the American warfighter. Now, it followed suit with the other series by presenting factual information and eyewitness accounts, but it was driven by the, the dark humor and the aggressive mentality of the infantry that I think had never been so perfectly depicted prior to. All right. Now, at this point, though, most people were tired of the war on terror, and many were just too busy going about their lives to have it as like a mainstay on their radar. And after incidents in, you know, Haditha and Abu Ghraib, the media helped fuel this view that we were trapped in the Middle East having our youth fight wars that they themselves didn't want to fight, which was not the case for a lot of us. Wright's book and the series based on it portrayed grunt life without a lot of the elements typically associated with previous pictures. Okay, so from the first episode to the last... Um, or from the first page to the last. Infantrymen are heard voicing their disdain for idiotic orders and pogues, or that's persons other than grunts, or anybody that's outside of the infantry. And, you know, the lack of understanding shared between them and Americans back home. You would be hard-pressed to find a World War II film with this aspect as a central component of its story, even though it was certainly present to some degree in those wars as well. All right? Now, the book and the show both highlights the fact that GWAT infantrymen okay, view combat and killing the enemy as a rite of passage and a validation of the arduous training and preparation leading up to it. That's a statement that's going to become increasingly more important in the episodes to come, so remember that one. Okay. Now, as the war dragged on and... You know, recruiting campaigns shifted to be more inclusive and tolerant, which we'll get into later. Um, so did cinema. Okay, so major works like Band of Brothers and some of the others we've already mentioned were followed up with countless films that just flooded home streaming services and depicted service members smashing their hands in armored vehicle doors so they could go home early or returning from Iraq and Afghanistan with post-traumatic stress disorder that prevented them from reintegrating into society, which regular listeners know my thoughts on quote-unquote reintegration that we discussed in episode six. So go back and listen to that one if you haven't already. Some great information there. 
But the cinematic attitude of the celebrity community and how they depicted the American warrior moved from the picture of nobility and, and conviction and morality, you know, that we saw in films like, uh, like we were soldiers to some lesser perversion of Oliver Stone's platoon, which portrays the Vietnam war as an entirely dismal endeavor that was fought by baby killers and rapists and scared young boys turned into homicidal maniacs by the horrible American green machine, which is a disgrace to Vietnam veterans. Now, moving into the 2014 release of American Sniper, we can see an opposite depiction of that. Okay, so Clint Eastwood's portrayal of the war in Iraq as viewed by Navy SEAL sniper Chris Kyle is top-notch. Okay, not just because great care was taken with the portrayal of specific events, but because it spared absolutely nothing in showing our enemies as they truly are which is a concept that is literally ignored by most of Hollywood and, you know, in, in favor and substituted for a more tolerant and progressive political message, despite the ground level reality. Okay. In case you haven't picked up the theme here, when a movie or a series is adapted from the firsthand account of a combat veteran or a book that's written by one, it's usually pretty solid. All right. Now, when the story is left for celebrities and filmmakers to construct themselves, we often get something that is outright disrespectful and ignorant. Whether there is malicious or manipulative intent behind that is something that we can only speculate at. Um, but remember that, that money and adoration is the primary motivation for Hollywood elites. Okay, Even the great shows like like Band of Brothers in the Pacific, there's there's no way to convey every detail in the books that influenced their creation. Okay, so people also have to take into account things like entertainment value, length, budgets, etc., because you know they have families to feed too. So that's Hollywood's part to play. And when we look back over the years, it's very clear that some people in that industry found a way to reconcile the business aspects with truthful storytelling and even conviction. Okay, It's also clear that some people just want to drive a negative narrative of war and martial living. See, The Thin Red Line is a primary example of that absolutely terrible movie. It's the World War II version of Platoon, and it unabashedly pushes a negative narrative of war. Um, now let's look at recruiting briefly. Okay, I say briefly because I think it's simpler, honesty. Uh, not better, just simpler. Recruiting campaigns are, you know, driven by numbers that project what the services think they need to accomplish the missions they are assigned by our politicians. So, they're subject to the whims of political appointees. And I'll give you an example of how this has changed over the years, Okay. The recruiting commercial that really, that really got me when I was growing up was the one of a man climbing a mountain and fighting a fire-breathing dragon before transforming into a Marine Corporal in dress blues, like complete with an NCO sword and all. I mean, he was decked out and looking sharp, all right? And then I think about, you know, like the posters, that you know me and my brother had on our walls growing up and stuff. It was like Marines like fighting each other in hand-to-hand -hand combat with blood and sweat on their faces, or they were out on patrol in some 
austere location with full combat gear. And the message was, was challenge. You know, it provoked that critical question, you know. I wonder if I can measure up to that. Can I be that awesome? Now, flash forward to the mid-2010s and recruiting commercials are centered on depictions of women leading a charge of Marines into a hail of machine gun fire amidst explosions and social media posts of grunts with gay pride flags flying in the background, which takes the focus away from challenge and development and moves it to inclusion and diversity. It also implies unanimous support of service members, which is an outright lie. If you remember, these were the years in the immediate aftermath of the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell and the removal of service limitations on women. Okay, so whether those are good things or bad things isn't the point. I certainly don't agree with either of them. So there's another torch and pitchfork moment for you. Okay, but the point, rather, is to recognize that recruiting is driven by politics and social engineering at least to some degree. Okay, at least to some degree. Now, where Hollywood has a leg up on recruiting is you can find plenty of movies out there based on accurate information. You know, it's definitely not perfect, but it also isn't restrained by politics. Okay, the individuals making them and their, are, their aims are more of an influence, which is a coin toss. Okay, in both cases, the fact remains that the only accurate source of information regarding warfare and life in the services in general comes from those of us that have actually lived that experience. And even with that, there's only so much that we can convey. If someone really wants to know what combat is like, then they have to experience it for themselves. Even the best movies and shows and, and the best books can't tell a person how they would react to a certain situation or whether or not they can measure up to the men and women that have fought, period. You know, if you're the top Call of Duty player in the world, it doesn't mean that you can move weight through rough terrain against the elements and fight on little or no information and win. You can't button mash square triangle L1 your way out of a shitty firefight. It's not how it works. So coming up over the next few episodes, we're going to identify and, and, and dissect some of the most common characters associated with military service. And it's going to get a little ugly, all right? But it's important to understand where they come from, what those representations are meant to accomplish, and how accurate they are. Okay, so stay tuned in, all right? It's going to be great, and I'm stoked to hear what you guys think about it. Um, I will never promise you that it will be what you want to hear. What I will say is that everything on this pod is going to be honest and formed from experience, critical thought, and study, or some combination thereof. Okay, if that's what you're looking for, then well, you're in the right place here on the Warrior Legacy Podcast. So please spread the word about what we're talking about here, everyone. I know that this information is key to helping us understand parts of our history, and it can be used to help inform the next generation as well. All right. So as always, tune in next time. Give a like, subscribe to the pod, and get savage and stay savage.